I'm going to read a passage. I've actually put this down from the message, which isn't the version I would usually read from. But when I first came to faith, I really didn't get the sort of formal spiritual language. And the message was really helpful. I'd really recommend that you also look this up in an actual, like, confirmed translation rather than just an interpretation, which is still very good and very worthy of attention, but like NIV or whatever you'd usually do. But I'm going to read this from the message. This is Hebrews 10, 22 to 25. So let's do it. Full of belief, confident that we're presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He, will, he always keeps his word. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging and loving and helping out, not avoiding worshipping together, as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. Okay. So this is predominantly about church, what I'm going to say. But I will say that church isn't faith. Church isn't Christianity. The fundamental thing that we're looking for is a deep personal connection with Jesus. That's the baseline. That's where we start from. But I've been asked to come and chat to you guys about church. And I really believe that moving forward in your faith, learning, growing, and developing that deeper personal connection, taking off in that rocket... Do you know what I mean? Yes. Um, Church is key for that. So I'm going to talk about church community, about church family, about welcome and how we welcome others and how we feel welcome ourselves. And I've broken that down into three helpful parts because that's what people do when they preach, I've been told. Number one, why I hate church. Number two, why I hate outside church. And number three, why I now love church. Spoiler alert, it gets good at the end. So I was raised Christian. My mum's a Christian. Um, She took me to a couple of churches growing up, a couple of different denominations. I hated it. As the title will tell you, I I always felt on the outside. I never felt welcome. I never felt a part of. I saw other people, like, in the Sunday schools and stuff like that. Like, my sister, she's just a couple of years older than me. She was in the one Sunday school above me. And the people in her Sunday school are now godparents to her kids. But that was not my story. I, Gandhi, right, said, I like your Christ, I don't like your Christians. That was me. All of my childhood, like, I will put up with this because I think I love this God thing. I'm going to pray. I've got this, you know, my picture Bible, all of that stuff. I was in, but I just didn't feel a part of. I saw pastors leave their wives, members of the congregation. Saw Christian men be violent towards their wives because they weren't being obedient enough. I saw youth leaders run off with children in their groups the moment they turned 16. I was bullied in my Sunday school. I was beaten up at the church youth group on a Friday. My sister had to come and scrape me off the floor at the bus stop and take me home, tell them to leave me alone. Someone from my Sunday school would search my pockets if I saw them at the bus stop. Church was not a safe place for me, okay? I felt like... And even beyond that, right, because that's kids, and and I grew up in South London. It's rare for me to be north of the river, but here we are. (laughs) I grew up in South London. It was a different time. It was before the gentrification. It was before all of the Australians and the home counties. Do you know what I mean? It was, we didn't put a Christmas wreath on the door, okay, because that was going to be stolen. 
It was a different vibe. Okay, so that was that. But it was also, I didn't feel particularly loved by church leadership. I felt judged. When I was 13, I was already smoking. I was already drinking. I remember someone telling me, like, if I pray for you, God's going to tell me your secrets. He's going to tell me what you're doing. You know, do you want that? And I was like, nah, I'm all right. Keep your prayers. Um, so I left. My mum gave me the opportunity. She was like, look, you're 13 now, in or out. That's up to you. You're old enough. You can stay home. Did I go to church anymore? No. Of course I didn't. And that was me done with church. And there were times, right, up until 13 to 25, and that's when I'm going to get into the, like, why I hate the world bit in a second, where I would reach out and I'd try and connect again. And I remember I was 19, and by this point, and you'll hear that the smoking and the drinking and the rest was just the start of it, right? I was 19, I walked into a Christian bookshop because I never would have walked into a church at that point because by that point, it was too much. I was too judged. It was... I was, it wasn't my place. I used to make the joke about setting on fire, you know, the one that all your other friends make when you invite them. That was me. So I walked into this Christian bookshop, and I knew I was going wrong, and I said, can I have a book on sin? I was 19, right? And she was like, you're a bit young for a book on sin. <laughs> you have no idea, love. Um, <laughs> she took me to the kids' section. She gave me a book called Who is Jesus, which was a picture book. I bought it because I'm British, polite. But I did also buy a book on sin. She was a bit disapproving of that. Went up and paid, and as I left, she said, you know, Christians don't dress like that. Oh, my goodness. I know. <laughs> Do you know what? I actually really, like, I d this wasn't part of the talk. I proper want that bookshop. It's closed down now, but there's someone here. I've actually marched around it like Jericho to claim it. So love your prayers for that, whatever God's give, ready to give me the money for that. Lease, I will move in and we will make that bookshop what it should have been. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's what I thought, that's what I thought church was, that's what I thought faith was, right? It was a building with high walls that I wasn't good enough or strong enough to climb. They were way too high and I wasn't welcome, and that's all I knew. So I went out into the world which had its gate wide open. Come on in, it's nice in here, it's warm. We're not gonna cuss you, wear what you like. You know, you can smoke, you can drink, do what you like. So I, so I drank. I took that invitation really quite seriously. You don't get many people with a Love Island water bottle, do you? <laughs> so, mm. Don't watch it, it's really bad. It's really bad. Um, so yeah, I started drinking really heavily. But I was hiding in plain sight. I grew up in South London. That's where, you know, we went to the park. We got a two-for-one bottle of white lining from Iceland, and we knocked it back, tepid, on a park bench. And that was fine. And it wasn't unusual for someone to throw up. And I had this social anxiety, because I was desperate to be liked. I was desperate to be popular. And drinking didn't make me popular, because no one's particularly great when they're battered. But it did mean I didn't have to think about the fact that that was so heavy on me. I was just so conscious of being judged, of, of not being liked, of not being in the right place. Got into a very destructive relationship um, at the age of 19, around the bookshop era, we'll call it, um, who I was with all through university. He didn't have a faith. And as I say, like, I, if you'd asked me, I probably would have said I was a Christian. Did I pray occasionally when I was drunk? Um, but that was it. I wasn't engaged in any of that. Um, that relationship was codependent. It was violent. It was vi and I say this, I'm not the victim of domestic abuse. I was violent. We were reciprocally violent. There was blood on the pillow. You wake up with blood on the pillows. You don't know why. That's just normal, guys. 
Spoiler alert, it's not, so I'll come back to that. Um, and then he left me on my, I actually, I always say on my 22nd birthday, but I found a diary and it was a week later, so I do feel I should repent of that. <laughs> <laughs> a week after my 22nd birthday, dropped me back at my mum's house, game over, three-year relationship. The person I thought I was going to be was his wife and the mother of his kids, and we'd have our dogs in Morden or somewhere, and he'd go out and do his decorating, and that was, that was the life I wanted. And then that was stripped away, and I was like, well, okay, well, what am I now? Finish university, this relationship that I put everything into is over. Um, so I went into hospitality, which is an industry where life is very work hard, play hard. Um, you work all hours. Loo days didn't exist then. It was before anyone believed in wellness for employees. So you just worked and worked and worked. And when you were done working, you drank and drank and drank. And then someone introduced me to cocaine and I was like, hello, now we've started, you know, like this was, this was good, but I've just upgraded. And that catalyzed my destructive lifestyle. And honestly, I'm grateful because I think if I hadn't been introduced to drugs, I'd still be drinking heavily now because it's really easy to tell yourself drinking is not a problem. There's always, you know, John who drinks more than me. Sorry, not actually John. <laughs> I realised John is here and I have no idea about his drinking patterns. Greg, hopefully there's no Greg in this church, right? That you can always point to someone and be like, they drink more than me. I could, I could hide. It wasn't a problem, right? But cocaine, you can't deny is a problem and not when you're taking it four, four or five times a week when you're spending a fortune on it. When you start a night in a glamorous like bar or club thinking you're fabulous and you end it licking the table just in case you drop some on your own at like 4 a.m., haying yourself, and then you go to bed and your heart's pounding, and you're like, why have I done this to myself again? I always said I wasn't going to, and you wake up, and you're like, this is it. This is the start of the new day, and you maybe even shower, because sometimes, sometimes you have enough about you to wash yourself and put fresh clothes on, but then you do it again anyway, because you just feel completely trapped. I'd walked in easily to access all the things that the world had through that gate, and then the walls just kept growing. And suddenly I was trapped inside a place I did not want to be. And I cannot tell you how desperate that is. And I know that there are people, and I speak to them, and I get it, right, who believe that addiction is a choice, but your choice is taken away from you so quickly. It is taken away from you so quickly. And we have to have empathy for people who are trapped in that place because it is everything. And I've got friends whose parents have died from addiction. They'll come to me and they'll be like, why didn't they choose me? And that's not the choice they had, I promise you. It's not who do I love most, so that's what I'm going to work for. It's you cannot see anything around you. You do not know how good life can be because you're in a fog and you can't see what you're fighting for, what you're aiming for. It is all-encompassing. There is no space for anything good. And every time you get a small grip on it, it feels like it's snatched away from you by the drugs and alcohol that are consuming your mind. It is beyond horrific. So I did that for a few years. And eventually, I crashed. And I called my sister, prodigal son, who brought that up, all of you, probably, because that was the, thanks, Justin, want to watch out for Justin, right? He used to go to my old church, and he tried to poach me twice for his life group. So <laughs> that's a true story. Home group leaders, keep your good ones close, because he's coming for them. <laughs> um, listen, it's really easy when you hear this story to be like, OK, cool, that's not me, you know? 
I'm not sitting up at stupid o'clock when my alarm goes off to tell me to go to work and I'm still high. I'm not in club toilets. I'm not down egg club. Egg club's around here, right? Yeah? Is it? Yeah, King's Cross. It's been a long time since I've been around here, particularly at night, guys. You'll be pleased to hear. That's it, you know? Like, it's really easy to hear this story and distance yourself from it. And a lot of people, when I share my testimony, they're like, cool, that's you. You needed God because you were in that place. So I love that you've got that, but this isn't relevant for me, but it is. And I'm asking you to look for the similarities and not the differences. Because actually, every single person will know what it's like to make a decision that they knew they didn't want to make, you know? To, to reach for that packet of biscuits that they binge ate. And been like, no, I told myself, it's just one biscuit and then I'm stopping, right? It's just one glass of wine. It's just one show on that website, which you know you don't really want to be looking at, you know? We, we all understand what that's like, but hopefully the vast majority of us won't have been completely consumed by it. But idolatry is a spectrum and it's in all of us. You know, and yes, right down here at the bottom, this is where those things, those dopamine releasing things are in their rightful place. And Jesus is on the throne and that money, that sex, that power, that porn, that food, that alcohol, that substance, that shopping, that phone, that gaming, that gambling is in its right place, either in moderation or abstinence, depending on on what that thing is. And then all the way up here, there's me with alcohol and um, drugs. And everyone else can plot themselves on that line with all of these things. And ideally, we all want to be down here, but we know we're not always. And we know we can take a little step up, and we need to keep that in check. So it's about being accountable. It's about being open. And it's about knowing that no one, really no one, is above these things getting out of control. So... Sister's the one who stayed and got no credit for it, right? I'm the one who came bowling back, like, it's me. (laughs) I'm broken. Someone fix me, please. And I called my sister and I told her, like, I know what I'm doing anymore. You know, I I just can't. I can't stop taking cocaine. I don't want to be this person. I'm not spending time with you or the family. I'm distancing myself from friends and family who who really care about me in favour of people who don't care about me. They just want to take drugs with me. You know, like, I don't know what to do. And that was on a Friday, Saturday, she moved me out of my flat and moved me with her. Sunday, she took me to church. And they did that thing where they're like, if you want prayer, stand up. Um, and it was like, you literally had to stand up where you, were, where you were. And she had her hand like that. And she was just going like, oh my goodness, Lord, please just make her stand up. And I was like, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Like, it's nice. They're nice people. But this isn't, this isn't me. I'm sorry. So I moved away um, and... Things kind of got better. Um, I moved to a country where I couldn't speak the language, so getting drugs was harder. But where there's a will, there's a way, people. And after about nine months, I started getting access to drugs again. I had a drug dealer. Um, And that's when my friends who were out there sat me down and were like, you've gone too far now, look. You know, you've moved country to stop this. We need you to do something about this. They're not Christian. They're just lovely. Um, and they looked up a support group meeting, and they sent me there. And I went, because I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. This will shut them up for a bit. And I just cried. I just cried the whole time, and I saw something there that I had never seen before, and I thought it was just me, and I thought no one else knew the desperation and the pain of that moment. And then to hear people speak about it, and for them to have found freedom, I was like, this is magic. This is what I want. I've got to do whatever I can to fight for this. And they told me, if you want to stop taking drugs, you've got to stop drinking. And I was like, not ready for that. And I called my sister and I was like, they said to stop drinking. 
And she was like, do it. She, didn't, she did not skip a beat. She said, do it. I think this will be the best thing you've ever done in your life. And I never drank again. And that was the 22nd of April, 2014. Thanks, guys. I agreed to go to 90 meetings in 90 days, which is what they ask, often people will ask you to do when you go into recovery. You spent your whole life um, investing in your addictive behavior, so why not spend that time investing in yourself and your recovery, right? So I did, and on the third meeting, someone talked about their higher power. Now, in these meetings, it's as inclusive as possible, but it is spiritual, but it's a higher power, or God as you understand him. And this guy, who didn't believe in the sort of Christian God, in, in what we believe, what I believe, was just like, yeah, you've got to work it out. Like, mine's the trees or something like that. Like, you know, something. But you've got to work out what yours is. So I Googled church, and I went to the first one. Never let it be said that bad SEO isn't, that good SEO isn't worth investing in. Because I rocked up at the first church that came up on Google, right? And they did their preach. I don't remember what it was on. And then the vicar was like, do you want to come up for prayer? It's an American church, and I always do the accent, but actually I think that's a bit rude, so I'm not going to. <laughs> Maybe I should. Um, so I went up. Went up for prayer, and he was like, yeah, sure, what can I pray, pray for you for? And I was like, I am five days clean and sober from a cocaine addiction. He was like, okay, um, if you just sit, sit here. And then he pulled around this amazing couple. Could you mind if I put my hands on your shoulder, talk me through this prayer, whatever you need. I don't, oh gosh, this is all a bit weird, isn't it? And then they invited me to a women's Bible study that was run by his wife, and she hadn't been there. So I turn up at this Bible study. She was like, Lauren, I just love you. My husband's told me about you. I was like, she's touching me. She, she loves me. And this is mental. I'm in one of those Louis Theroux Christian cults. That's, that's what I thought. Um, but she sat down, and there was like maybe 10 people in the room. She was like, let's just start by doing... This is for you. This is... By request, let's just start, right, by going around and saying, I don't know why she's a valley girl, she's from Minnesota. <laughs> um, let's just start by going around the circle and tell me why you're here, like what it is about Christians that you just love, you know? Oh, what have you seen? And people were like, oh, it's just this generosity, it's just this kindness, it's just this patience, I could feel it, this fire inside me. And I was like... I, shouldn't, I swear too much to be here, you know, this isn't right. And then she got to me, and I was like, nothing. I've not seen anything I like in Christians. I'm here despite how Christians have treated me. And I ran through some of that stuff that I said to you earlier, and I looked up at her, and tears were flooding down her face. And she, I truly think that this changed my life. There are many moments that changed my life, but this is really big. And she just said, I'm sorry. So I know that wasn't me. I know that wasn't that person I didn't grow up with you and I wasn't in your church, right? But I'm so sorry that we, that Christians, showed you that and treated you like that and we didn't protect you. That we didn't show you what this can be, what God can be in church. And I, I am asking you to just give us another chance. Like, let us show you let us show you what this is really about. Let us show you what we believe Jesus did for us and then, and then we can bring you into that. And I just felt this rock lift off my shoulders. And I was like, I just needed it. I just needed freedom from that, that resentment I didn't even realize I was carrying. They were so gentle with me, you know? They never made assumptions about me. They always 
to put relationship before challenge and correction. You know, they didn't bowl over like you're Christian now. You've got to be perfect. You're doing this. I smoked for a year. I, baptism, baptized a year and a half later, still puffing away on cigarettes, right? And I know that wasn't that, like, okay, we don't want people to smoke. It's not good for your body. We want everyone to be as healthy and as fulfilled and the best chance of a good life as possible, right? And smoking is not great for you, but I needed it. I'd given up. Drugs and alcohol, they were my, like, physical, chemical crutches. And God was like, let have it. Let have it for a bit. It's cool, you know? We can't expect people to be in our churches and to be Christ. We've got to see people where they are and discern what they need and how we can best support them. And nine times out of ten, if you see someone doing something unchristian, it's not your place. It's just not. Have you been invited? Have they given you space to speak into their life like that? Are you holding them accountable or are you just putting that wall higher up around the church for them and making them feel like they can't climb in? So why do I love the church now? (laughs) That changed my life. Those people changed my life. They were incredible to me. They gave me my first Bible. They taught me through stuff. They taught me through reading the Bible from Matthew, not from Genesis. Excellent tip. Why do not more people tell you that? Genesis, start off. Not going to get you anywhere. You want the Gospels. Um, Since I've been baptised, I've found community support. The most incredible, deep and loving friendships. I've found human love like I never knew it. Um, I've seen church offer support to homeless. I know that you guys had a brunch downstairs, so this might still be running. Seen those in debt, 80% of the church of debt recovery and debt support is run by the church for free. Um, and recovery courses, and I've been involved in recovery courses for the last seven years, um, supporting people in addiction in a church setting, putting Jesus back into that sort of 12-step model rather than just higher power as you understand it. If you are interested in what recovery looks like in terms of like practically, I'm not going to go into that now, it's a big long thing, but I have done a TED talk on it which you guys can Google and that will talk you through day-to-day what I did that put me on that track and I'd encourage you to do that if that's something you're interested in. Um, most of all though the church showed me Jesus that was it it wasn't that I sat in my room and I read the Bible and I had this conversion moment it was slow and gradual there was no lightning bolt in my story it was people just consistently showing up for someone who didn't believe they were good enough to be shown up for and that's what they showed me and that's what we can do Um, we have something here that has the ability to transform people's lives in the most radical, wonderful and unexpected ways Do not build walls around it. Open the gate. Let people in. Okay, so here's what we're going to do about it. Firstly, if you have been treated badly by the church, if you've been around that kind of abuse, and I know like mega pastors and mega churches in the States, this is all coming to a head and power corrupts and accountability is important. And I love that, that I believe this church has that accountability so that this won't be your story. And the same for mine down in South London and and lots of others. But we do need to be mindful. We do need to watch out and make sure that our churches and our leaders are prayed for and that we are on track. Um, But if you are in a place where you have that resentment, when you've been hurt by the church, where you feel like you're fine with Christ but not Christians, I want to offer you what someone offered me and say, I am so sorry. I swear we can do better and we will do better, but don't give up. Don't give up on Jesus because of people. 
you know, I really believe that this church can do this better for you. And I know this isn't my church, but I love this church. I was like online during lockdown and had some incredible moments with this church in lockdown. You guys have got something really special. And I'm so sorry if you haven't been treated in that way. But I want to invite you to explore that one more time. Give us one more chance to show you how this can be done. Next, if you relate to any elements of my story of addiction, and that might just be like, oh, you feel a bit challenged about your phone use, you know? Like, we're not, it, I, it doesn't have to be as extreme as we're going. Nip it in the bud before it gets to you. Nip it, take it when it's just a niggle, okay? Because you don't want to be where I was. You really, really don't want to be where I was. It's so hard to come back from that. But if you are there, you can come back from that. And you've never gone too far. And you always have grace, and there's always a path back. You are not too old or too young. You've not done too many bad things. You've never taken too many drugs or drunk too much or spent too much or pushed too many people away to come back and find that freedom because Jesus died for you to have it, to have life to its fullest. So step into it and claim it. Um, Next, if you are somebody who's toying with this idea of church. When you come to a church, do you see walls or do you see gates? I think you've got to ask yourself that. And if it's walls, like, come and get some prayer. Come and chat to these guys. Ask them where the gates are open. They'll walk you through, you know. That's cool. They, they'll show you where it is. There's no walls here. You are, you are welcome. Um, and what about for you guys who are in the church? When you see someone new who's joining, that person that maybe you wouldn't want to sit next to on the bus, the person who like, you wouldn't naturally socialise with or that kind of thing, what, do you open the gate or have you put up walls? Like, could you do better? Have you maybe been a bit judgy? Have you been a bit too quick to challenge someone when it's not your place? I think we all need to ask ourselves those questions regularly. Um, some of you guys may have been searching for something in the world that satisfies you. Let us in the church show you what we found to fulfill that. Let us show you the welcome that you deserve. Let us show you the welcome that changed my whole life. You know, we are all one in Christ. We are all equal in Christ. Everyone is equally welcome in this family. And if you ever have that problem, I swear DM me and I'll have a word. <laughs> That's real. I'll call that church leader and explain what's going on in their church. Um, God doesn't shame. Who said about shame? God doesn't shame. God convicts and gives us a chance to change and gives us a welcome into his family. So I just really love to invite you into that.